Please open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 43. The passage may be found in your pew Bible on page 878. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is a translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. When he came near, he asked him, what do you want from me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Thank you, Jeremy. Being a a dad, I signed my son up to uh, read without... Uh, asking him, and the joke was on me. He went back to to college <laughs> this morning before I. So, thank you, Jeremy. Let's uh, let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, um, the eyes of our heart, even as you opened the eyes of the blind man. Oh Lord, I ask that you would. Um, Help us to see the Lord Jesus this morning and to uh, entrust ourselves to him and his great care and love for us, that great care and love that sent him to the cross, that sent him to the shame, to the scorn, and uh, to the... um, to the uh, wretchedness of bearing our sins in our place. Help us to see Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen. So last week we met the young rich ruler in Luke 18, verses 18 through 30, and we were faced with this question. Is Jesus worth it for us to give up everything even our own lives, that we might know him. And if you were here last week, I hope that you have considered that question. Is Jesus worth it for you? Now, in light of this morning's message, we might turn that question around and ask, are we worth it to Jesus? And this this question appears because Jesus states what awaits him when he gets to Jerusalem. So verses 31 through 33. 
And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. Now, the setting here is that Jesus is in the vicinity of Jericho. Jericho was only 17 miles northwest of Jerusalem, and his betrayal and his crucifixion are only just over a week away. So Jesus is not telling his disciples about something that is months or years away, but is only a bare few days off. It's easy to think of Jesus' death on the cross as a theological statement and forget the awful suffering that Jesus had to endure on that horrific day that we call Good Friday. He was unjustly accused and convicted by the, the Jewish religious elite. Then he was turned over to the Roman authorities and the, the Roman soldiers mocked him by putting a purple robe on him they put a crown of thorns on his head and they pressed it into his skull cap. They sarcastically bowed down before him and they said, Hail, King of the Jews! According to Luke 22, the Roman soldiers also blinded, blindfolded him during this time and beat him. And then they would say, Prophesy! Who struck you? During this whole time, they were also spitting on him, according to Mark chapter 15. And then after appearing before Pilate and being sentenced to crucifixion, they flogged him with whips that opened his back all the way down to his bones. And I've not even mentioned the suffering that he endured on the cross. His hands and his feet were nailed to that tree with iron spikes. The horror of the cross was that you could not get any breath in your, in your lungs unless you pushed up. And so can you imagine pushing up to get air in your lungs? And that was just reflexive. You, you, you were going to do that no matter the pain. But you were pushing up on that spike that was through your feet. It was a slow, agonizing way to die. And while Jesus was suffering that terrorizing pain in his body, his soul was in anguish. He took on the guilt of our sins. He paid the penalty that we should have paid. He bore the wrath of God in our place while he was on the cross. And as Christ hung there bearing our sins, he was separated from the Father, causing him to cry out in grief, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus suffered the, the injustice, the mocking, the shame, the spitting, the flogging, the nails, the cross, and the wrath of God. And who did he do it for? He did not do it for worthy people, but he did it for sinners. 
So the question is, are we worth it to Jesus? Are we worth all the suffering and pain that he went through for our salvation? And of course the answer is a resounding yes. We are worth it to Jesus, not because we are worthy, but because he loves us. No other way of putting it. He loves us. He loves us sinners. Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The writer of Hebrews says, For the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And I think in that passage, the writer of Hebrews is saying that we were his joy. We were the joy that was set before him, that motivated him to endure the cross. Jesus endured all that he suffered because he loves us so much. He is such a good Savior. His love is matchless. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with whatever is in your life and going on right now. You can trust him with your concerns. You can be certain that he hears your cries. You can be confident that he knows your needs. Why can you be so confident? Because he loves you. Why would Christ have to endure all that mocking, all that shame and pain and wrath of God? Could he not have found a, an alternate route to our salvation? You know, he's infinite in his knowledge. Maybe there's an easier path. If there was another less agonizing way to secure our salvation, Jesus would have taken it, but there was no other way. The wages of sin is death, Romans six twenty three. We have earned our death by our sin. Not only physical death, but spiritual death and eternal death in, in hell. We have sinned against an infinitely holy God. Therefore, he demands an infinitely high price to satisfy his justice. If he accepted anything less, he would no longer be just. If God arbitrarily forgave uh, your sins without receiving the full penalty due for those sins, God would cease to be just. The whole concept of justice would be destroyed. There would be no justice in the universe. If Hitler got away with it by killing himself, where is there justice? Well, he faces it as he stands before God. But what if God is arbitrary? 
What if God just says, I'll forgive you this sin or that sin. I I may punish you for this. I may punish that person uh, for this, but I'm going to let this person go. That would be arbitrary. That would not be justice. God would not be just. But because God is just, it means that our sins have incurred an infinite guilt, that we deserve infinite justice. It's impossible for us to ever pay the debt because we are infinite sinners. I'm sorry, we are finite sinners. Uh, Only an infinite Savior could fully pay the infinite debt. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why Christ suffered as he did. He shed his blood in our behalf. His blood made atonement for our sins. It covered over our sins. He paid our infinite debt. Because he is infinite, he is able to pay the full price for our sins while he was stretched out on that cross. He paid our full penalty, and then he bowed his head and cried out, It is finished, and he died. Again, this is not just a theological statement. Our Savior suffered. He suffered an act. He suffered agony that none of us can ever comprehend. For him to to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For him to be separated uh, from his father for the first time in all eternity. On top of all the soul suffering that he endured in his body. And he knew exactly what was awaiting him. And it shook him in his soul. He sweated blood as he prayed the night before his crucifixion. He told his disciples, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And then going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, My father... If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 says that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Our Lord told his disciples exactly what he was going to suffer. In detail, he knew it was coming. And he did not deviate or swerve away from the cross, but he embraced it for us. But he also knew that the cross wasn't the end. Again, look at verse 33, the end of verse 33. And on the third day, he will rise. Death could not hold him down. He rose from the grave in triumph, and he uh, ascended to the right hand of the Father. There he makes intercession for us. Now, Jesus told his, his disciples that he was going to suffer, that he was going to die, and then on the third day he was going to rise. But his disciples, they had no category in their thinking to accept this. They still had their visions of glory sitting on the right hand and left hand of Jesus as Jesus set up his, his earthly kingdom. 
They were looking for a political kingdom with a political uh, savior. You know, and just over a week before he was going to go to the cross, and they still had not figured it out. In fact, uh, Luke here says in a in the, the threefold way they were clueless. He says first in verse thirty four, but they understood none of these things. Then he said, "This saying was hidden from them." And then third, they did not grasp what was said. This is a ancient technique of saying things three times, three different ways to underscore the point. He could have said, well, they didn't understand, but he said it three times to drive home the point. They did not get it. They were blind. Uh, They were lacking in their understanding. And so for us, we shake our heads in disapproval. You know what? It's very common for us to be blind to what we don't want to see. In fact, it's alarming that we can so easily dismiss facts that are objectionable to us. You know, sometimes I ponder how Bible-believing Christians could have condoned the slave trade and owning another person. And then whole nations practice slavery for centuries. Whole nations were blinded, willfully ignorant to what they were doing, culpably so. They were culpably ignorant. And I wonder, how could they have let this happen? You know, but then I think, we're condoning abortion in our nation. We as a society have blinded our eyes to the facts that are right in front of our face. And may God have mercy upon us. Frankly, this capacity to be blind to what we don't want to see underscores our need for God's regenerating grace. We are more blind than we'd like to think. We need to read and study God's word, pleading with him to open the eyes of our heart that we would be able to grasp his grace and his will so that we would not blind ourselves to the truths that we find inconvenient or hard to accept, or unpopular in our culture. Even as Christians, we are prone to see life only through our narrow viewpoint. And non-Christians, they are utterly blind to God's grace. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I want to move on to to, um, verses 35 through 43, and I real quickly want to contrast the disciples' blindness to the poor, blind Bartimaeus. And so, listen again to the passage that Jeremy read, verses 35 and following. And as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They said to him, or they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him, 
uh, rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more. It's interesting here. The word for cried out in verse 38 is a different, completely different Greek word for the word in verse 39 for um, or, or yeah, verse 39 where he um, cried out all the more. In other words, he took it to a different octave. His, his crying out was initially to be heard. Then it went to great shouts in desperation. I will be heard in spite of those who were rebuking him. So verse 38, I'll uh, pick up again. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came, he asked him, what do you want me to do? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And we'll stop right there for the moment. We know that this blind man's name is Bartimaeus from the parallel account in Mark chapter 10. So we're talking here about blind Bartimaeus. Uh, Although he was physically blind, he had more spiritual insight than the young rich ruler that we met earlier in this chapter. Uh, He even seems to have more spiritual insight than Jesus' 12 disciples because he called Jesus son of David. And that is an overtly messianic title. The commentators are beside themselves, puzzling, asking each other, uh, how did this poor blind man know this? Well, it was clear, even to the blind man, that Jesus was the Messiah by his teaching and by his miracles. And the religious leaders and the crowds, they were too spiritually blind to see this. Instead of marveling at the insight of blind Bartimaeus, we ought to marvel at the blindness of the people who saw Jesus' miracles, heard his teaching, and rejected him anyway. Such is the blindness of the human heart. Great is our need for God's regenerating grace. Bartimaeus, he had a great need. He was blind. He heard that Jesus was passing by. So what happened was need and opportunity met together. And the people who were in front of him began rebuking him when he was crying out, Jesus, son of, or, uh, yeah, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The more they told him to be quiet, the louder he yelled. Again, verse 39 um, says, And though uh, he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. At this point, he is shouting. It's in the imperfect tense. That means that he just kept on going and going, and he would not be quiet. One of the greatest times for growth as a Christian is those times when you really see your spiritual neediness so that you cry out persistently and cannot be stopped. Like the persistent widow at the beginning of Luke 18, or like this blind man. He sees his need, pun there, he's blind, and he sees the opportunity. 
Jesus, the Messiah, is passing by in front of him. He will not be stopped in his prayers. Kent Hughes rightly says that spiritual blessing belongs to those who go for it. This is in keeping with, with scriptural truth. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Are you seeking God with all your heart? In other words, spiritual blessings that are sought only half-heartedly will not be received. Jesus stopped and commanded Bartimaeus to be brought to him, and he asked, What do you want me to do for you? And Jesus knew what Bartimaeus wanted. Bartimaeus wanted his sight. So Jesus asked this question, and I think he asked this question to draw out his faith. Reminded me of Romans chapter 10, verse 10, that says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You have to put your faith into practice. Faith is not a bunch of good intentions left undone. Therefore, Jesus said to Bartimaeus, Recover your sight, your faith has made you well. On a side note, it was the object of Bartimaeus' faith that made the difference. He made his plea in faith to Jesus. His faith did not give him sight. Jesus gave him his sight. Bartimaeus cast his trust in Jesus, and Jesus gave him his sight. It says here, I keep finding myself on the wrong page, It says, Jesus said to him, Recover your sight, your faith has made you well. For the the Greek uh, students in the congregation, uh, it's the word sozo. Your faith has saved you. This legitimately be translated, has made you well. But it also could be very legitimately uh, translated, has saved you. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did in response to Bartimaeus' faith. God is always found by those who seek him. That is true. It is good news. And so I urge you, seek him, because he is a good Savior that loves you so much. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, open any blind eyes who do not know you. Bring them to the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we have so many blind spots in our own lives, even as followers of the Lord Jesus. We have so many areas of spiritual pride. We have areas of spiritual selfishness. Lord, we have areas of spiritual weakness that we have not yet recognized. Lord, open our eyes to our great neediness that we might call upon and, and seek after the Lord Jesus with much more fervency and perseverance, even as uh, we saw here in blind Bartimaeus, who is no longer blind, 
but spiritually and physically had his eyes opened and his life regenerated. Do it, Lord, we ask in your name. Amen.